Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing urinary incontinence. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back. It's uh, Jamie, one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Um, and it's Anna, one of the teaching fellows in obstetrics and gynaecology. Okay, so we're going to be looking at a, a gynaecology uh, topic now. Mm-hmm. Um, urinary incontinence. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, delicate subject. Um, so we'll start off uh, with uh, sort of thinking about the different types of urinary incontinence, Anna. So what ones are you primarily concerned about? going back to what you said about a delicate subject I think that's one of the things isn't it about a lot of maybe a lot of gynaecological things but maybe particularly urinary incontinence mm. really embarrassing for mm. women they um, won't present like with it or they'll put up with it for years because they feel like it's a normal part of ageing and it's mm. not something to kind of bother the doctor about um, you can blame the tenor lady advert maybe for that well yeah I always think that when I watch those adverts that yeah. actually people are being encouraged to just basically put a pad in and put up with it yeah which seems a bit strange to me. Mm. Other incontinence pads are available. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) But yeah, a bit strange that you might just put up with it. Um, I mean, maybe people who are buying these these, um, incontinence pads have been investigated. There's nothing that can be done, but um, I do think people put up with it. Anyway, uh, they don't need to, because Mm. actually there are things that can be done for urinary incontinence. Um, And you asked me what the different types were, which I will get on to. So the main ones that we um, we think we the general kind of types are either that of uh, stress urinary incontinence or urge urinary incontinence. Yep. But there are kind of other types that can be caused by other things specifically that kind of will go beyond what we're going to talk about here. So things like um, fistula formation, for example, I'm not going to talk about here, but someone with constant urinary leakage, for example, mm. um, might make you think more of that than it being yeah. um, an intermittent problem like stress or urinary uh, stress or urge incontinence. Incontinences. Can we tell the difference between the the history and things we can pick up in the history? Yeah, so you can classically. Obviously, sometimes it's hard from a history, isn't it, yeah. to necessarily kind of pick it apart. And sometimes people do have symptoms from both, and so there might be a bit of a mixed picture as well. Which there are things we can do to try and pick that apart more, which we'll come to. Um, but generally, so stress urinary incontinence is leakage when someone's coughing, sneezing, laughing, during exercise, during sexual intercourse, classically things. But otherwise, um, they're able to quite well control their bladder and they go to the toilet a normal number of times a day to pass urine. They're not getting up at night. Um, whereas urgency incontinence um, is kind of what it says on the tin. People f- have an urgency and then that urgency it leads to leakage Um, sometimes people can have urgency symptoms but not have leakage Um, and actually the background pathophysiology of those two things is probably quite similar and the management is similar as well so even if they're not actually leaking but they have a lot of the urgency it's still something that can be managed so those people um, might pass urine very, very frequently in the day, but maybe only small volumes. Um, they might feel uh, they have to get up at night to pass urine as well. Um, they obviously have that significant urgency, and when they have to go, they have to kind of go now. Um, and they're all kind of linked, really, with symptoms of what we call overactive bladder. The bladder, basically, the bladder detrusor muscle is quite overactive, and it's contracting um, even when you don't want it to, basically. Okay. And um, are there any investigations or examinations you'd want to do? 
Um, so there's some um, basic investigations you might want to do to rule out a urinary tract infection or rule out diabetes, because obviously both of those things yeah. may very well um, increase or worsen the symptoms that someone's got. Um, you would probably examine the patient. Um, so you may want to do a general examination, just see how you know the general health of the patient. Do an abdominal examination to rule out any abdominal masses. Mm. Um, sometimes an increased intra-abdominal pressure for other reasons can increase stress incontinence. So you want to, to rule that out. And you may then do a vaginal examination ask the patient to cough, see if you can see any urinary leakage, check for any um, uh, genital tract prolapse, um, and because those things can compound the problem. Yeah. Um, and then you may want to do a bimanual vaginal examination to look for pelvic masses to rule that out as well. Sure. And are there any um, advanced tests that we can request? Um, so not really an advanced test, but you might want to do an ultrasound scan if you suspect a mass, because yeah. you'd obviously want to know where that mass was coming from. Um, and the thing that is sometimes required is a test called urodynamics. So if you took a history and the patient, uh, you weren't quite sure if it was predominantly stress or predominantly urgency, um, then you might do this urodynamics, which is basically... It's quite an invasive test, so it's not a very nice thing to have done. The patient has a urinary catheter inserted. They also have a catheter placed in the rectum. Both of these catheters have got pressure transducers on them, and it helps us um, determine um, what the pressure is in the bladder. Mm. The rectal catheter tells us the abdominal pressure, mm. and then the computer system basically minuses these kind of things away, and it tells us whether or not the actual the bladder itself is overactive. And you encourage during the test you are you fill the bladder up with saline. Yeah. Ask the patient at what point she feels the need to void. Yeah. You ask her to cough, um, and there's kind of a, um, a bit of scales and a bucket underneath the seat she's sitting on, and it detects whether or not she leaks any urine during mm. coughing and things like that. So it's it's a bit of an artificial environment, but it lends weight to whether or not someone's got predominantly stress or predominantly urge incontinence, and then you will help guide the management. I've got the most bizarre mental image in my head now trying to imagine what that must look like. It's very strange, <laughs> yeah. It's really very odd. And you generally, you might have um, a kind of man on computer operating the computer behind a curtain, like if the kind of the, the clinical people yeah. um, are not sure how to kind of do that bit of it. Um, kind of asking the questions while the man, like, <laughs> puts the, puts on the computer, or, you know, coughing now and... Yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, if we're happy at stress incontinence, what are our first line management options? Um, so, the NICE guidance tells us that um, first line management is pelvic floor exercises supervised mm. by physiotherapy. Um, and basically, doing those really regularly is proven to increase pelvic floor tone, and that should help with stress incontinence. First line. Mm. Okay. And um, what are the next? Uh, steps after that if that's not working um, so if that fails to work then um, the for stress incontinence we always talk about kind of conservative medical surgical don't we mm. but for stress incontinence there are there are some medical therapies so there's a medication called duloxetine which you mm. might know as an antidepressant mm. um, but it would probably only be reserved actually for women who are not suitable for surgery Sure. because actually the surgical option for stress incontinence is very good very effective and actually 
it's a day case procedure which is quite low risk mm. so probably people would more go towards that before that you know before being offered a medication sure um, so that procedure is a transvaginal uh, tape um, or transurethral tape tension free vaginal tape there's lots of names um, and they were base that what that basically does is gives it's a tape that sits underneath the urethra just at the bladder neck and when a woman then coughs or sneezes it basically lends support to the urethra so that it maintains that kind of natural angle continence mm. and that's how that basically works okay. um, it's kind of hard to describe on a podcast it's something that maybe you have to go to theatre and kind of see sighted but mm. um, hopefully that helps a little bit um, there are um a few risks that people need to know about so it's possible to perforate the bladder during its insertion but that's quite unusual yeah um it's possible the tape is too tight and therefore it causes urinary retention so it's important women you know manage to pass urine normally before they go home after their procedure yeah um infection bleeding the tape is a synthetic mesh so it's possible for that erode to to erode through the vaginal skin later on it's kind of all things for to be aware of but the success rate of it is about uh, anywhere between 70 and 80 percent okay. of women will have no symptoms um of incontinence following so it's pretty good and not need their tenor pad anymore Indeed. <laughs> that's a saving <laughs> um so uh what's about urgency incontinence then? So what's the first line that we'll be offering then so the first line um is something called bladder retraining um mm which essentially is encouraging the bladder to be able to hold gradually more and higher volumes of urine before you have to uh, go and pass urine. So mm. generally with urgency incontinence, the um, the bladder will become kind of, will contract at very small volumes of urine. Yeah. So what you might do is um, get the woman to say, wait half an hour before she goes and she'll do that for a few days mm. and then she'll wait 45 minutes before she goes okay and then so you're encouraging the bladder to hold more and more volume and you increase that to a point that actually it's four hours between going to pass urine the bladder's been trained to hold a larger okay. volume of urine gradually and actually then the symptoms generally and then are much better much more manageable to obviously go to the toilet every four hours rather than every sure. half an hour and if that doesn't work um, so that doesn't work. The next stage is probably medical treatment. Um, so anti-muscarinic medication, which will try to re basically relax the detrusor muscle. Mm. And there's loads of different types out there. Um, the the main problem with all of those, though, is the side effects that people yeah. get from them. So things like constipation, really dry mouth, as you would imagine with an anti-muscarinic medication. Your classic anti-muscarinic yeah. side effects, yeah. And actually that's probably the thing that means that they don't work because the compliance with them is so poor because people can't put up with the side effects that that mm. then means that their efficacy drops quite a lot because of compliance. Mm. There are newer medications to the market which rather than anti-muscarinic, they are kind of beta agonists. Mm. So they act on the other receptors on the on the bladder to again encourage... Um, relaxation of the detrusor muscle mm. and those ones are going to have obviously um, a better side effect profile sure and um, they, they don't work if they don't work is where are we <laughs> um, up to then <laughs> so if if they don't work for your urgency incontinence um then there are other potential treatments available so things like you can give botox injections to the bladder mm. um which is done via cystoscopy inject in various places with Botox and basically 
you're paralyzing the bone, the detrusor muscle, but a significant chance of urinary retention mm. and the need for intermittent self catheterization. So it has to be you know, significant symptoms that a yeah. woman basically is happy to intermittently self catheterize following that procedure. Mm. Um, and there are also, um, if that, that fails to work again, more complicated um, therapies like sacral nerve stimulators mm. and things like that. Okay. And um, if we're counselling a uh, lady coming in with um, either sort of incontinence, are there any um, simple lifestyle measures that we can, that can offer the patient or advise the patient? Yeah, so um, for, for stress incontinence, we'd encourage the woman to lose weight. So I mentioned before anything like increasing intra-abdominal pressure, it might be from <laughs> external. So if someone's got a very high BMI, then certainly If in doubt, always loss. advise lose weight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, if they kind of have um, a chronic cough yeah. um, or they're constipated, which is causing you know, a lot of bearing down, then actually the management of that may in fact improve their incontinence symptoms. Um, smoking and caffeine intake both um, will cause problems with the detrusor muscle being again more overactive, so encouraging them to take less yeah. caffeine and stop smoking, maybe drink less alcohol if that was uh, relevant as well. Um, sometimes it's a, a matter of um, actually seeing how much the woman is drinking as well in the day because you wouldn't want to obviously encourage someone to dehydrate themselves yeah. but you do sometimes we of, uh, often ask women to fill in bladder diaries where they for a few days will um, write down exactly volumes of how much they take in and how much they um, pass out and if there's any incontinence episodes yeah and if a woman is drinking like 10 litres a day, for example, then clearly we can, <laughs> we can uh, remedy that. And that probably will have a positive impact on her urinary frequency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that's probably the worst bit of advice. Like, if somebody said to me that I, I needed to cut down on my caffeine intake, because as an A&E doctor, I think that would probably be the worst. <laughs> that would be heartbreaking. It's interesting, isn't it, what people see as like the worst possible thing that could happen. Oh, abs- absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm a non-smoker. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I need to lose too much weight, but I think um, if you took away my caffeine, I'd be heartbroken. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, Anna. Um, it's been a good point to point out that our new sponsor is Tenor Lady. <laughs> no, it's not. Thanks, Anna. Okay, bye. That's the Take Orally Urinary Incontinence podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned. You can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.